There we go. Um, okay. Okay, uh, let me share my screen also. Um, Okay, um, as usual, um, you should stop, you should interrupt me if you think I'm saying anything wrong. Um, and um, and uh, this is, right, I'm, I'm gonna over, I'm gonna radically um, cut down the Makura and I really, I really just wanna do, uh, what I wanna do is just one, one um, chuva. Uh, there really aren't very many chuva that are, are all relevant to our topic. Uh, many of them are by the Sholemeshiv, and I have not succeeded in reading all of the Sholemeshivs uh, about this topic yet. Um, but the Sholemeshiv is the only one I know about that um, is explicitly about the question of abuse allegations as opposed to the general question of allegations. Um, I, I will say up front that this is a, a topic um, which I was very nervous about getting into, and I'm going to state my biases up front. Um, because I think that that's you know, useful in this case. I am aware of having heard an abuse allegation and not followed up on it adequately. That's because um, when I was an undergraduate uh, editor of Vassar, somebody brought the Baruch Minor accusations to me, a friend of mine, and I didn't follow them up. So I know that I can blow that. And I, you know, I know that there are um, other accusations that I've even had sort of blanked out of memory because the allegations against um, my high school principal by the time I was an MTA, I remember I was reminded of, I was told of them once and, you know, flipped out, but believed it because it was a credible person. Um, many years later, it wasn't in Lamas anymore. Uh, already, you know, but I, I haven't even followed the story. And then somebody reminded me about it two, three years later. And I, wow, I never heard of that. And then I took, they said, but I told you that two, three years ago. And yeah, you're right. You blank, you blank things out that you don't want to hear. Uh, at the same time, I am uh, very personally acquainted with uh, false accusations. So it's, you know, I think it would be just about impossible to convince me that there is no such thing as a false accusation um, because I have myself been threatened with one and been subject to one. Uh, so there are, um, which you know, I know to be false, <laughs> uh, right? I'm not, I'm not, it's not based on evaluation. I also have incidences with friends of mine, but I am personally um, familiar with, um, with, the risks, with the risks both ways. And so it's a it's a um, it's a risky thing, um, and I haven't generally. You know, I, I guess I've written a number of things about it, which will be in the end of your reader. Um, and uh, so I've written, but it's always with trepidation, and always with the sense that one is navigating um, a, a morass with no simple answer at all. No, right? No, not clear that there's a a formal answer you can give as opposed to just trying your best to muddle your way through an almost impossible situation. Um, my son Gershon pushed me very hard to be, to write something about the Walder um, situation. And I think what got me was uh, the statement by um, the owner of the uh, of shop that lots of rabbis were giving him private support, but none of them were willing to say publicly, say so publicly. And that's never a good situation. And I've been in that situation way too often where people come and tell you privately, uh, that's right, that's great, but uh, I can't say anything to support you publicly. Um, and so I felt obligated to write something. And I wrote it based on you know, experience, uh, based on the summers we spent at SBM on, uh, on Lashon Hara. Um, 
I didn't at that point, honestly, remember the Shoal Umeshiv directly. Uh, Rabbi Eli Fisher, who's an alum, um, emailed me. They were actually wrote a, published in a Facebook post that I had actually taught this uh, this truth of the Shoal Umeshiv publicly. And um, I checked it and said, indeed, it's so. I, checked, I taught it publicly. Um, and I think he says that the translation, that his translation on uh, his translation on Svaria is actually based on a translation I originally put out to teach this publicly. Uh, I will say I have not been able to find the translation when I taught this uh, Chuva first, I think, in, I don't even remember what year it was. Um, so I, I had written my own translation, a, a new translation. I revised it. It's sort of, right now, it's sort of a, a combination of a new translation from scratch and, and of Rabbi Fisher's translation, from, which is now on Svaria. Um, and you can check it, you know, along, you can follow along on Svaria and see, you can see where, I, where, it, where it's verged or not. There's also one paragraph that for the life of me, I cannot understand what it says. And so you're all welcome to, uh, to help me figure it out. Okay, that's, um, that's personal background. Uh, what I want to do really in this year is just read the Shalom and talk about what, you, what kind of help you think it is or isn't for, um, for our own uh, circumstances. I can say that I was called by, uh, by a Shulrav um, in a community considerably to, the, to where I normally uh, operate and um, asking me about the Walder case specifically. And I presented him with the Sholemeshev, and the Sholemeshev, you know, that like that was that was that helped enormously for clarity. So I think that the Sholemeshev is very useful that way. Um, but I don't, you know, I think that there are lots of ambiguities and points in it, and there are places where his halachic argumentation may not be the most solid in the world, and you have to figure out as always what do you do when you have a chuva that reaches good results, but you don't really buy the argumentation. There are places where it's ambiguous. So at all point, you can jump in whenever you want to interrupt me if you think I'm making a mistake or draw an analogy or ask a question about it. Uh, I think that, you know, that it would be, um, in addition to the Walder case, right, I did not address this, but there is, uh, you know, an ongoing issue with an allegation made about somebody who was at least a member of the Yeshiva basketball team last year. And that has also been a matter of, uh, of controversy. Uh, or alum Daniel Weinreich has wrote a, wrote a published letter in the commentator um, this week about that. And uh, so... Yeah, again, I don't think it's going to be solvable. Um, in the Walder case, obviously, I took a, I took a stand publicly uh, that um, which I'll you know, which you can look again. I'll I'll, I'll rearticulate it at the end if you want. In that case, I haven't, but it's worth thinking about how it might or might not apply. Okay, what Makoros do we have? Uh, so background very rapidly. The key source is uh, a very odd Gemara. I uh, was talking about the murder by uh, the murder. Uh, by Ishmael um, ben, Nisa- ben Nisania of all the people with Gedalia, which, which leads ultimately to the fi- to the final uh, Galut of uh, Babel. Uh, the Gemara says that the ones that the, the people that were killed by Ishmael ben, ben Netanya are also called as if they're killed by Gedalia. The Gemara says the Gedalia hargan or Ishmael hargan, right? Gedalia didn't kill them; Ishmael killed them. But he should have he should have listened to the lashon hara that Ishmael ben um, ben Nisania or Nisina was playing was planning to do this, so he's responsible. So that sounds like a very harsh, very harsh obligation. Um, and then there's a statement by Rava, which seems like a generalization of that claim, which is high Lishnabisha, some kind of boy. Even though you're not supposed to accept it, although language really is you're not obligated to accept it, um, but I think probably I have enough of the Chavis Chaim drilled into me to say it can't possibly mean there's no obligation to accept it. It must mean that it's just permitted to, to accept it. You have to take it into account in some way. Okay, now what does that mean? So the Chavis Chaim himself, I believe, 
translates this as uh, very clearly as a psychological perspective, that even though um, you're not supposed to believe it, you have to act in a certain sense as if you believe it. So this has the problem of the Chavit Chaim's general um, application of the principles really of Averi Lishma to um, Lashon Hara, um, which is there's an action, which is the right action to do. It will save other people, but you're not allowed to do it unless you have the right kavanah. Um, so that seems to me to yield in many cases impossible outcomes where we say that you should not do something um, because you have the wrong kavana, and the result of you're not doing it is that other people, let's say here, right? Suppose, suppose Gedalia had said to, uh, right, to Yonatan ben, uh, ben Kerech, I'm sorry, but you know what? I've always disliked Yishmael ben Nasina, and I think that believing this will feed into my own sense of revenge, and therefore I can't accept what you're saying. Now, if he really doesn't believe it, right? you know, if he really, if he really, if he really suspects his own motives to the point of believing his judgment is poor, and he's listening to Lashon Hara, he shouldn't. That's great. But if it's really just a question of his own soul, I don't think you have the right to let lots of other people die for the sake of your own soul. Uh, Rabbi Jonathan Ziering, this summer, uh, Shir, you pointed out all the the positions that hold that not listening to Lashon Hara is a violation of Losamot Odam Reicha, uh, standing idly by while other people. Right, well, well uh, other people's deaths, so there are positive obligations. So we could say, in certain cases. Uh, I don't, I prefer not to read this as a psychological position, which I think is almost untenable for people, but it's setting a boundary, right? You have to act as if it might be true, but not as if it is certainly true. And your personal subjective uh, reaction to it is largely irrelevant. Um, that's part of what Allah is supposed to do. It's supposed to set some kind of objective boundaries. Okay, uh, Gemara, the, Gemara then tells this story, which people quote, but it's really hard to know what it means, right? Some people who have the nafik aleha kala, there's a rumor about them that they're murderers, and they come before Bitarpun and they ask him to hide them, and he engages in this public, you know, public, um, I don't know what we call it, the soliloquy, uh, whatever it is that Hamlet does. Uh, if I don't hide you, right, so then he'll see you. And if I hide you, but the rabbi said we're supposed to take into account or maybe I'm hiding murderers. So you go hide yourselves. So he chooses not to inform on them and not to hide them. If, so we could ask the question, is that really a solution? Uh, right, what, you know, is, is inaction really a solution? In many cases, no. Uh, what, what would Rabbi Tarfan have done if there was a suspicion that they would go murder other people? Would he also have result, right? Have, have, have ended in inaction? Is this governed by his belief that the system which would punish them is unjust, and right, and so collaborating with the system is per se is per se a problem that balances. I don't know what to do with the story per se. Okay, so we should be aware of that's but that's the primary Gemara we cite as background, and the phrase that matters to us most is Even though you don't have to accept it, you have to um, take it into account. Okay, there, there is um, one other really odd Gemara, um, which um, where the Gemara says that one of the one of the three people that God hates, uh, right? Believing aside all of my my Indian problems with attributing those sorts of emotions to God, uh, is Heroed var erva bechaveru umeid bo yechid, somebody who sees his friend violate a sexual sin, and then comes to court to testify against them alone. And the Gemara gives a story, which I think must be proverbial, but we don't have the context. Tuvia sins, and Zygud comes and testifies against him alone in front of Rav Papa. And Rav Papa puts Zygud, the witness, in Cherem. 
And and Zaygut says to him, Tuvia Khatab is I good make it, right? Tuvia sins and I get put in Khairim. Um uh, Amrlay and he says yes, because Lo Yukum Aida Khad she interprets that as not as one person um one person testimony can't stand against another person, but he interprets it, I think Al Derach Melitza as a you know as a as an asmachta, as an imperative. A single witness should not stand up against the person. Right? The Adlukhudechas Hadanfe, and you came to testify on your own. Shame Rab you're just trying to plant to slander him. Okay, it's an interesting precedent. Uh, how far does it go? What happens if he's not really just trying to slander him? Now, how do you know whether he's trying to slander him or not? Well, he can't get he can't get him convicted in court as a single witness, but now we're in a circularity. So whenever the courts will do something constructive, then it's not forbidden because you're doing it for some purpose other than slandering him. Whenever the courts won't won't do anything constructive, then you're just slandering him. So now the question is, right? So now the question is, when ought court to do something, uh, right, um, constructive on the basis of one witness's testimony? It's a little unfair for the witness not to, you know, to have to know that in advance what the court will do. You can say, let the witness come to court and let the rabbis decide whether to do something constructive. So this is also a very weird, difficult gemara to um, to interpret in any kind of practical sense. Um, okay, this is quoted by the Marik. I gave you the Beis Yosef summary, but it's also the Marik. Um, Right, who takes it, um, right, who, who tries to put a concrete language on this Gemara. He says, um, the, by the way, the Shalomation will be translated, but these sources I put together um, later, and so I haven't translated them yet. Um, but I apologize, but I hope it should be follow, easy enough to follow as I'm traveling along. So the Maharik says, if, if an individual testifies about something about a friend, she's not believed not to, not to humiliate the person, Right, so we're not going to put the person in cheder because of your testimony. And even you can't even hate somebody; you can't treat them as an avarian because uh, this was told. And even if the person is a really viable person, and then we get to the case where this is most likely to happen, which is what happens if a woman accuses a man of an unmarried woman who is pregnant accuses a man of being the father. So he says, "No, you certainly aren't going to believe her." Um, now he says, "Ah, oh, but there's one more Gemara, which we, which I have not provided you. Which is Gemara says that we give sometimes we give lashes al lotova hashmua. A person has a bad reputation, we give them lashes. What does that mean? How can that be? It's just a reputation. So we invent this category called when well, invent, but it, there's a we distinguish between rumors that are started from one specific person and that and rumors which are we call a kaladalu pasik, a like a um, rumor that just won't go away." People have tried for, you know, for, I guess, a, a millennium to try and distinguish between what the difference is between a Kalad Pasik and a Kalad, and right, a, a rumor that doesn't end, a rumor that does. Uh, obviously, there are all sorts of you know, perverse incentives here, uh, right? You know, and, those, and those are whatever the perverse incentives were in the past, they are intensified much more by the internet, which can allow rumors to spread in all sorts of unhealthy ways to be sustained forever. We're reminded of them whenever it comes up. Um, so this is a very challenging uh, category, and I think people have tried to formalize uh, to formalize the uh, the category of the classic. I doubt very much that it is um, formalizable uh, in that way. Um, and here he says, adam uh, Other people will right will take that out and say, no, it's only where the person is not kasher, um, and 
the easy thing is to say that this only relates to places where nobody else gets hurt. So that raises the whole question about whether in whether uh, you know the woman already got hurt with the right with the with the with the pregnancy. Um, in that sense, right? You know, her her reputation is already inevitably damaged. Uh, will somebody else get hurt if you don't expose this person? Very likely. You know, often people are often people are uh, serial um, right, serial sires, I guess. Whatever it's from, we want to use it. Um, can they do that without a call to pasik? If you don't believe the person the first time, how is the call to pasik going to happen? Uh, right. This is you know a fundamental challenge in. Um, in situations, particularly in abuse kinds of situations, where we often the way in which we try and generate um, credibility is by saying that it depends on how many accusations there are. But if each individual is told nothing will happen if you come forward, then obviously nothing's going to happen ever. And every single accusation, every if if five people in five different cities each have one person come to them and whip that person for coming to them um, because they're all right, then that's really um, really unconstructive. Um, so I don't want to, yeah, I, I guess this, yeah, I think what we have is largely you've just read all the evidence that was in front of the Sholemeshiv. And you can see that if you try to do it abstractly, you might end up with, um, with results that were really unfortunate. Um, and I don't know that anybody, um, at SBM, we tried that, you know, I guess 10 years ago. And putting out the booklet, but one of the things you'll see in the Achrayas Ksuba, if you look at it in the pamphlet, in the journal put out, is that my own Shuba has a postscript, and the postscript says I don't think I did a very good job because I don't think I handled the uh, I handled how to hand, you know, how to investigate things like this well at all, um, and I still don't think that I did a great job um, in in that Shuba. Um, but I think that the Shul, I think I think the Shulamishiv has a lot of value. I'm putting it up front to you. Like I don't think there's an easy answer, and I don't think that the uh, Shulam, that the that there's an easy answer based on the Makorot, and you'll have to figure out how to handle that. So here we go. Mishnah's tough race Yud Gimel. Okay, so we are not Taryag, right? Good, good number. We're at fifty-six thirteen, which means we're around eighteen fifty-two and eighteen fifty-three. Irab Echad. So it happened in one city. That city is not named. I don't know why the city in which it happened is not named, but for whatever reason he t- he makes this calculation. So there's a there's a rumor heard about a particular teacher, uh, presumably a Torah teacher, who has already lived there eight years. Okay, so here we have like a very a rip from the headlines case. Uh, teenagers emerge and they say that eight years pre- eight years previously uh, right this this teacher in Cheder or, or some equivalent molested us um, homosexually um, okay right so we now we don't know right back we don't know if right, the teacher is still there at the time that the that the accusations are made we don't know what efforts have been made to see if there are current students who feel the same way uh, right, or make the same accusations. We don't really, don't really know what happened at all. We just know that all of a sudden, these two teenagers come forward, uh, and they say eight years earlier, uh, right when we were minors, he molested us. right, and the last, and the last uh, summer, I don't know how long passes between the time that, uh, right, uh, between the time that 
um, that they make the accusation and the time and what the Kayat Shavar. So somebody whom it also remains anonymous, but is identified as uh, praiseworthy. And I don't think Yishra Elikim has any degree of, um, of a qualification about it. Right? So he becomes Mordechai. Right? When, he, when, he, when he hears this, he cries a very loud cry, meaning that he makes a public fuss. Right? Somebody hears the accusations, a private party. And he makes and he makes the accusations public. Okay, so now the matter comes before the rabbi who's the head of the Beit Din, presumably in that uh, unknown town. And then we have a problem which shows up all through this trivia is that there's a shift between singular and plural, and it's hard to know who's talking. But I'll do my best guess. So now there's a public fuss. Because an Ishi Reyelukim has given credence to these um, to these accusations made, and they want to come to Beitin, and the Beitin, it seems to me, refuses to allow them to testify. To testify. Um, all right. So why do they refuse to allow them to testify? Allow them to testify? We don't know yet. Uh, we don't we 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 we, right, we don't know what the what the ground of it is, but they refuse to accept testimony. And meanwhile, this person swears that he's going to leave town. Achar Hazman, whatever Achar Hazman means, um, it seems most likely that Achar Hazman, uh, to me, it seems like after the academic term. Um, it could be that he gave a specific time period after which he would move, and he does. Okay, so here you have you know, if you um, right if you if you buy my um, if you buy my uh, my framework, um, here we have a uh, you know just about everything that goes wrong with Ernie went wrong here. Right, people right people do um, people do. Uh, come, right, come, they right, they issue their testimony. The Beitin won't even hear them. And what we say is, you promise to leave town, and you can leave town with your um, reputation intact, because we haven't accepted anything. And what happens? Exactly what we expect to happen. So he goes and applies for a job somewhere else. Okay, so now, but now, right, he gets to Lvov, and you know what? The rumor follows him. Why does the rumor follow him? Only because that Ishachad Yerelokim made a public fuss. Right? Nobody, the Ravav Beitin of his uh, hometown, didn't tell them, didn't tell them to be at all suspicious. Um, but the rumor is, but the rumor gets out because of this cult Akal Mara that was issued by a private balabas. Um, so now Shalach Balabayas Echad Nichbat. So another Balabas in this new town of Lvov sends right a respected Balabas, doesn't say he's a Reilukim, but he's a respected Balabas, sends a letter to the Rav, and I'm not sure which. I think it's probably the um he sends a letter to the to the rabbi of Lvov. Okay, now he has this background. The Sholameshiv at this point in his life is living in Lvov. Uh, but he is living as a Rosh Hashiva, not as the rabbi. 
and as a Rosh Hashiva who has independent means. So he basically funds his own yeshiva um, through through his wife, I believe. Uh, he becomes the, the rabbi of Lvov, um, I think, 17 years after this. But maybe seven years after this. But right now, he's right. Right now, what we have is um, right, he's not right. He, the, we haven't figured out how the question gets to him yet because there's a story in some unknown town that right some Balabai Israel Kim makes a big fuss. It doesn't help at all there because the Beit Din there doesn't refuses to accept any testimony at all, and they just brush it under the table. They go to right, goes to a goes to a new city, and some Balabas hears the rumor. And he sends a message, I think, to his local Rav. And this is what the local Rav responds. Okay, so he investigated and he found no basis to believing, for believing that this person is unfit, right? It's Pasul to be what? Not clear, but presumably in our case, at least Pasul to be a malame. And there was nothing that clarified the matter. There was no smoking gun. So what's he supposed to do? As it, right, he's, a, he's a judge. There's no, uh, right, there's no evidence against this person. Everyone has a cheskas kashris. And that's, that's the end of the story. <clears throat> so I think what it means like so the this Balabas who wrote to the Rav is in possession of the Rav's letter to him. So at least there's some some public statement now, <clears throat> as opposed to in Lvov, where all we presumably have is is uh, you know, shadowy knowledge that <clears throat> A, the Baitin refused to take the case, and B that uh, in some kind of quid pro quo, presumably, the um the guy agreed to leave, the guy agreed to leave town. Okay. So the, the other Balabatim in Lvov say, um, I guess it could be Al Balabayas, it could be the same one, uh, but it's Hechziku, so the, the plural and the singular and the strip again are always, are always uh, um, confusing. So the, the, I think it's the Balei Habayat there, uh, held on to this Malamed, because they said that he's really skilled. Right? I'm a little bit cynical about this, and I would say they probably said that he is charismatic. Um, and right, so this person, who you can see the Sholomesha doesn't like, right? he calls him the Chatsuf, right? so he's, he's giving away his position, is crying, so there's a whole debate about what kind of bird of Kruchia is, but he's, he's, right, he's shrieking in some, in, right, loudly, that the people who are spreading the rumor against him are neither from nor serious. Kesher Bogdim, Shem Kalei Hadat. And then there's another thing which is hard to figure out exactly what it is. And also that he gave to the, and I think this is the Parnasimimon he gave, the, the, the leaders of, right, I think this is the Sholomesh saying something, in adi- this chasuf, in addition to screaming Right, the screaming that the people attacking him are, uh, are, are not, neither from nor serious. He, right, he also gave a ton of money. That sounds like a lot. I'll record trings. I don't know what record string is. I, I looked up and I imagine 
Beth Fisher did the same and discovered that the best we can get in a Germanic language is recruiting. Uh, but why does recruiting matter? So I found a, a late 20th, late 19th century pamphlet that uh, which uses the word recruiting, which is about how to avoid the Russian army draft. So my best guess is that a Malamed had an exemption from the draft. And therefore, to get a position as a Malamed, you often paid, right? You would get paid over time, but you paid a deposit up front so that you could get the letter so that you could have the, the draft exemption. And if he gets fired, then they'll have to give the, they'll have to, right? They'll have to give the money back. Um, and so the, so the Sholomashiv claims that the Balei Bias of Lvov have a, uh, have a vested interest in disbelieving the rumors because they were in essence bright. That's a really sharp claim if that's the, if that's the shot in what he says. I don't, I don't, I don't have any other way of reading it. If anyone else has a way of reading it, um, more power to you. Tell me, tell me. Okay, so we'll let it be for now, but I'm welcome to hear better ways. Okay, so you Parshas Va'era. Okay, so now we get to Parshas Va'era, so this is a great week to do this, um, do this shiva. Here, here we are in Parshas Va'era. Uh, so what happens? It happens is, right, so the rabbi of the first town wouldn't let them testify. The rabbi of the second town says he investigated and found no, nothing at Vartoro. What does that mean? Probably that means, as we'll find out, that he treated, he, that he refused to accept the testimony of those, of the, of the accusers either because they were, they are testifying about something about which they were underage. And for these purposes, as well, right, their testimony is invalid. So, or maybe he did accept them, but he didn't release a transcript. So now what happens is a private baton. So I get a letter with a transcript of testimony, um, right, which is signed by three respected men. It doesn't say Rabbanin. Right? So it sounds like a, a private group of Balei Bias Maybe in the original town, maybe in Lvov. I, I not clear. Maybe some kind of intercommunal thing. Got together and they had these teenagers write down their accusations in front of a beta. So now, the attempt to prevent them from testifying has failed. But you can't have any public. But you can't have any beta in judging it because we're dealing with situations where there really are, where, where communal sanctions require a public beta. And to set up an ad hoc baton to take testimony, okay, that anybody can do. But to uh, right, but to judge based on the testimony, that should require you know, a formal baton. What they do is they send this testimony to the right to the Sholomation. So this seems to indicate that the the baton was in the original town because the Sholomation says, and I accept this because I have a local person. Who, right, who recognizes the signature. So I believe that there really was a bait in and they really took this testimony. And here's what the testimony said. So these, right, so these two, um, right, these two people who are now 15 and 13, which means that they're testifying about things that happened when they were seven and five. 
that are less, right? Well, it's eight years ago, so it's actually, we'll see, it's be a little older. They learned with him when they were nine or younger. Okay, so six years ago, uh, right? If the if it's the 15-year-old testifying, right? So the Malamed had been there for, right? In his third year there, they're testifying that he abused them. Um, so he would testify, he would, he would, he would um, defile them homosexually. Now the word key here is a little ambiguous. It means it could either mean because they would sleep with him in a right in a bed in the in the in the in the room where he lived there, or when he would sleep with them in a bed uh, where uh, where he was there. And I don't know. It sounds to me, but I could be wrong. It sounds to me like that was not extraordinary. Like that was like sometimes they would stay over with him, and and that was. But and they're just saying, and in that thing which we did, which was not seen as extraordinary, but sometimes he took advantage of us. I think that's the way to read it, but it could also be that the whole phenomenon of them being in the same bed was weird. Um, so the testimony is graphic, and I have no interest in writing the testimony here in my in my uh, in my book of uh, in my book of Chubot. All right, because it's already written down, so it can't be. Right, it has to mean that. Okay, so here we are. Right, the Shalom private rabbi, Rosh Hashiva, of independent means. In a town where there is a Malamed, and he believes that there is that right. Well, he knows he now knows that there are these accusations against the Malamed. That the first town, the rabbi refused to allow them to testify. The second town, maybe the rabbi let right where they are now. The rabbi allowed them to testify, but dismissed them. And now a private group has protested against both these formal, these official rabbinic results, and set themselves up just to receive the testimony. And they're asking if he will intervene, which would take a lot of courage. So this is what I responded to. Really, I already wrote a long truth about this. So it sounds like, uh-oh, right? In order to puzzle somebody requires two kosher witnesses. And declaring somebody invalid is like a capital crime, it's like sentencing them to death. You really need two formal witnesses. Here, where they were children, they were underage at the time that the, the alleged um, thing happened. And they are not believed as adults to testify about what they were children, as explained in Choshevish Hey, except about the Rabbanans. So here, how can we possibly believe the testimony of children? Um, right, this would be the equivalent, he says, of believing the testimony of children to execute somebody. And there's no way halakhically that we would allow that to happen. Okay, and I gave you in, in footnote five, if you want, you can look at the, uh, you can look, right, you can look at, we believe them for Tchumen, right? And the, the Shulchan says, din bishari suri Okay, but now he adds something. Right after Reich, right, this is right. That was that was really you know, just a false ending. I'm not. However, the fee Masha Kasav Marik Vatrumas Hadeshin, the Kavoh Ramah B'Shulchanara. According to what both Marik and Trumas Hadeshin write, and the Ramah puts this in Shulchanara, not the Machaber. You can decide how what significance that means. Shubemakom Shei Efshar. That's what I think the correct emendation is. The um, the uh, the printed text has Shin Aleph Dalad replaced by Shin Aleph Sadi. I think in somebody else's later edition. But I think the correct abbreviation is Shin Aleph Aleph. Right, 
in places where this is a this is a, you know a a, um, a really important halachic move. Leaving aside the whole question about women's testimony generally, um, what he says is that in a place where it's impossible, in a circumstance where it's in, where it's impossible for there to be kosher witnesses. Now, what's the circumstance in which it's impossible to be kosher witnesses? In places where no right, particularly in crimes against people who are not valid witnesses. Right? Private crimes against people who are not who are not valid witnesses, there can't be valid witnesses. So they write, right? He says, in the place where it is impossible for there to be kosher witnesses. So we believe women who are not normally kosher witnesses and minors. Theme Cain. So in this matter, where you couldn't have adults there, um, because he has private care of right of these children. Um, now, we could say that the proper reaction is to, to never allow children and their teacher and their teachers to be uh, to be alone, and everybody should conduct all their classes in fishbowls. But I suspect that was socially impossible, and maybe physically impossible. Um, at the uh, sorry, at the time, at the time, at the time that he that he um, that he said this, um, the um, the belief suffix because he says beyond doubt, Ishalaz afim hirushal paritz aval b'mistar maseu rak biladim kani misachik because this person doesn't sin with anybody other than um, other than uh, minors and certainly he's careful enough to do things in private, so there isn't going to be any testimony except from children. Okay, and then he quotes the pasuk, which is kind of odd, um, right? Some, as if somebody who is, uh, right, it's like somebody who is throwing flaming arrows, um, and uh, right, and saying, "I'm just playing." I really don't know what that, um, what he's talking about here, because there's no public flaunting. I don't really understand it at all. In general, I don't understand his analogies, but he quotes the pasuk. The intermediate, intermediate things, things I have in brackets are not in the original text. Uh, but they are in the Pasuk initially. Uh, and I think to have any hope of understanding, you have to look at the whole Pasuk. Okay, so now we have two utterly contradictory principles. One principle is that um, cases which cause which which cause somebody to be invalidated as a member of the community, there's nothing you can do, uh, right? Um, it's like capital crimes, and you need a you know, gold standard to male Shomer Shabbos kosher witnesses. And on the other hand, we have a claim that the Marika Truman's addition right, and are they right? Presumably they're writing this on the basis of some kind of svara, maybe a svara that they think was implanted in law at some point in some communities, um, that you have to believe people when there's no other possibility, uh, with no possibility of having gold standard testimony. So how do we square how do we square the circle? How do we find a way to balance this? So here's how the Sholomatia tries to do it. He says, Umagam de Atu, on a roadstone, the pastel, the edos for the shvua, rak de amrinam de shema asaza. So he says, You know what? When I said that invalidating somebody is the equivalent of, um, is the equivalent of, um, of, of a capital crime, what I meant was invalidating them in terms of, right, making, saying they no longer have a cheskos kashros to testify. And that we don't allow them to take oaths because we think they're lying. But I didn't say that. We're not saying that here. Always right, because that would require certainty because everybody has a cheskas kashras. 
So in order to break your cheskas kashras, we require a vadai that you're guilty. But all we're saying here is maybe. So maybe isn't enough to puzzle them, and now we don't need the standards in the anymore. Where do we get this from? From our Gemara Nida. The Kvar Amr Benida, Hailish Nabisha after the Kibula Leboy, Lamechash Miami Boy. Right, this is a really weird Gemara, which I didn't give you. The Hailish Nabisha Al Kolpan Mixaso MS, right? This is a smoke where there's smoke, there's fire um, Gemara. And again, like tough to know about that, and we'll have to qualify that again by claiming only if there's certain kind of color smoke and a certain kind of, right, you know, with a certain kind of density and whatever. Um, right, fine, all great, right? He thinks that his, his mere breath defiles them. Uh, but what he's doing, right, what he's doing is claiming that there's a way out based on that Gemara and that Lamechash Mihaboy is the same as saying that we're only creating a possibility, and the standards for creating a possibility are much lower than the standards for um, for actually possible. Okay, but the problem is, like, you know, so why should we be willing to destroy someone's reputation uh, on the basis of testimony we don't generally believe? Right? So he, doesn't, he hasn't really given us a, uh, a moral ground. You know, if you think that the standards of testimony, the normal standard of testimony halakhically are just ritual, they don't relate in any way to truth or to the better, or um, then great. But if you think that they relate to truth in some way, so we're back to the question: right? Does Shema really resolve the problem of the Fashos? Is it really true that testifying somebody that disqualifying somebody as a witness is that much? You know, is that's the Nefashos? But having everybody look at somebody as an abuser is not the Nefashos. That's a difficult claim to make. Now it could be that we are dealing with socially changed circumstances. That in a situation where you have buzzed in that really make judgments about whether somebody is pusillanimous and make those publicly, so the failure of a Beitin to issue something like that is a really right indicates to everybody that no, we're just suspicious. It could be that being guilty of abuse was not the kind of social death that um, being called a liar was. I don't know, but I don't think that we have it. Uh, I don't think I have a, you know, a glot explanation of this at all either. But he says, Therefore, I think it's proper to remove the crown of right, the modifies Keter Torah to Keter Amalamdus, the crown of, you know, of Torah pedagogue from his from his head. Um, and then I have no idea what the plurals are doing here. When he says, I don't know who the plural is here. Somebody has to be really worried about their souls until he does complete Chuva. Uh, with proper uh, you know, proper self uh, self um, uh, self what do we call it uh, flagellation? I don't think that's flagellation. Dafka maybe but he has to do things both you know both psychological chuva and cause himself actual physical pain in chuva. So if somebody has been excluded from the community, so then they have to come back and formally accept the the higher standards of the community. Right, Divrei Chaveris. Right, talks about Divrei Chaveris in a, you know, in a very formal sense. I think we have it as a, uh, as a much uh, looser sense. But it's some notion that you're not just, right, that you're really that you're accepting chumras on yourself. You're saying to act as the, the you know, as like the elite of the community and not just the, uh, and not just the masses of the community. 
Um, we have this now for people who um, had at some point, let's say, converted to a different religion. So when they come back, they don't need to convert to Judaism, but we uh, suggest that they that they accept upon themselves the Chaveros and go to mikvah to do this. Uh, but so long as he doesn't confess, he can't do tshuva. Um, okay, so there's all right. So we're not disqualifying him, but we're doing enough to him that that we that in order to get him out of it, he has to do tshuva, and uh, right, really serious tshuva, um, and publicly confess. So it's like a very delicate halfway line here, um, and also of course the what he's saying here which, you know, I don't know if that time is controversial already, but it's certainly controversial now, is he assumes that a person can just do tshuva and come back, um, right? There's no notion of criminal sanctions. There's no testimony. Um, he doesn't mention the question, you know, the question of whether there, there is a secular government that would do something uh, if he went to them, or whether that would be a positive option or not. So but he does have a clear position that you're supposed to remove him from his position. But beyond that, you know, on the one hand, it's Shema, on the other hand, he has to do Tshuva. As long as he denies it, he can't do Tshuva. But if it's Shema, why does he need to do Tshuva? Okay. Robert, yes. Just, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this point from before, this um, sort of the way he introduces the idea of Ne'amanut for um, women, for, for minors. Yeah. Um, does that lead to like the counterintuitive conclusion that a lot of the precautions that are now being built in to schools um, or camps or other you know places where you know adults work with minors um, are in some ways counterproductive to the amount of the minors? Meaning, um, you know, they, they say, oh, don't be alone. You don't be in a position of yichud with a kid. Well, once you're not in a position of yichud with a kid, in theory, it's no longer. Um, you know, the state there such that only a kid would be able to testify about what's happening there. Um, I think that's probably right, that any time uh, you know, that if a kid testifies to something that could have been seen, then that would be true. Um, what I hope happens, um, I, this is, you know, this I know is always controversial. What I hope happens is that the violation of Yichud becomes grounds for dismissal. And then the kids are not testifying just based on their memory. The kids are testifying with a raglaim ladabar because the teacher, the camper, all they should not, should not be willing to be in yichud with them. Uh, I think that's what's supposed to happen. That, you know, that, that on the one, right, because that you protect, that everybody gets protected against false accusations um, and against both, both, both crime and false accusations by setting a standard that, um, that yichud should never happen. Now, when it comes to um, consenting adults, so right, so there's a lot of pushback against that. Um, whether you know how whether communities that, that keep you could uh, anyway, that's a whole challenge. But the truth is that um, you need to keep more than technical yichud to avoid this, uh, right? I know that just walking, walking. You know, if you walk back with somebody. Uh, when there are people who can see you, but they can't hear you, so then you can be accused of uh, things that you said. Um, you know, so you know, so speech is uh, speech is an actionable offense. So that, I guess I think that would be that that would be the uh, you know you could set up a memorandum right? Anything that 
if the kids testify in such a way that somebody could have seen it, so then, uh, right, then the, somebody else should be able to testify. And the kids testify, you know, they did something in a way that nobody could have seen it. So then the adults should be able to testify that uh, either you could happen or didn't happen. Um, now, what happens you know, if, if he succeeds in getting the kids into Yichud in such a way that no adult sees? Now that undermines the credibility of the kids? That may be an issue in a Hanami. All right, thank you. Um, okay, thank you. Um, okay, so now he quotes something, and um, there's a metaphor here, and uh, somehow, somehow urinating on Harabayat becomes a metaphor for the difficulty of doing tshuva on, um, on, uh, uh, for sexual sins. I, I am defeated by this, and because it's we only have an hour and a half to the share, I'm going to just leave it to you. If anybody afterwards can figure out what on earth this metaphor is doing, uh, you're, you're more than welcome to do it. I think Gary Fisher has a, has a good translation of the words and understands what the illusions are, but I don't, I don't understand it at all. So I just left this out. I don't think it affects the argument at all. Okay. But, you know, you, once you figure it out, you may discover that the whole truth depends on this, and I got it wrong. Okay. I found afterwards in the Marik, right, which we right, which we talked about before. Now we have a second distinction, right? So the first distinction was between puzzling them and just saying maybe, which was not so sustainable because he still wants them to do juva. Now he says, the question is, um, right, whether we're trying to save them. Now the them seems here to be the sinners from sinning. He doesn't seem to talk about the, the victims, which is puzzling for me. But you can't punish them at all. And just a basic lesson, you could never, you could never publish them. Um, but he says, Onam Sham, but the Mariks claim that you can't embarrass them and you right, and you can only do you can't punish them all you, uh, unless it's to save them from sin. That's only in his case where all there was was the woman testifying, and there was no uh, there was nothing more than just Lush and Hara. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's just a I don't know. But here, the fact that a Bezdin caused this person to test, these people to testify formally, sounds like the distinction you're making. But, right, since there aren't, right, that's still more than Lashon Hara. It sounds like a Kaladul Pasik. If a Bezdin took their testimony and found it credible. Therefore, obviously, we should um, avoid giving him students. So this is a, an interesting claim. Like, how does that work? Uh, how much time does it take? What constitutes a gbias edus? Um, do you have to, uh, right? So does that mean a newspaper report is not good enough? Or do we say that having a reporter with professional standards is the equivalent of a gbias edus? Um, he doesn't mention anything about whether the, the names have to come out or not. So this is, you know, he has a... Um, Right, so here he, like, he tries to like interweave his distinctions. We right, we would on the basis of Lashon Hara, we could just say Shema, and we could, and now we have Gvias Edus, so we can go a little bit more than saying Shema, even if our motive is not just to save him from sinning. 
I don't understand in this section why the why the victims don't appear uh, at all. So that this is a place where it doesn't um, it doesn't hang together for me. And so if somebody afterwards could figure out how it hangs together, that would be great. Okay. So after he has presumably published uh, uh, his position, or at least let the Bali Bias know his position that this Muhammad should be fired, he gets two letters, who, two character references for, the, for that person. Okay, now there are, you know, that you know, always happens, right? If people are accused, it's very rare that there aren't people willing to stand up for them as character references. And that's like really an important thing, right? If people are accused, you really don't want a situation where anybody supporting them is automatically tarred with the same brush, right? There should be some basis. Repu- re- supporting your reputation is one of the ways you have. You have one of the ways you have to defend yourself. Um, but the question is, should those people say, "I know it"? Right? They shouldn't say, "I know it's false." What the, the most they can say is, "Well, we know of this person. It doesn't seem in character." Okay, but he gets two letters. This is what I said to both of them. I responded to both of them at the same time. I don't know who these two people are. It sounds like at least one of them is the rabbi because it's Masha Kasavarov. But it sounds like this is a letter from, it sounds right, or it could be that just, I don't know. The most likely thing is that one of the people who wrote the letters was the rabbi of the original town. Because that's whom he seems to be responding to here. Masha Kasavarov is not Masha Lo Kibel Edo. Um, right, the rabbi, the rabbi who said, "Look, I, never, I, w- I wasn't willing to accept their testimony," and I was kind of embarrassed because a private Beitin has set has been set up, probably in his town, to fill in the gap that he refused to accept. So he says, "Look, what would? Why would I accept the testimony?" Right? He said, he's basically quoting the Gemara without quoting the Gemara. We don't have his letter. Right? Why would I? Father setting up a bait in to accept the testimony of witnesses who are non halachically valid, that's just right, that's just like accepting an aid where a papa refused to accept it. Uh, right, so his response, so the um, the Sholomation response is, in of a sobitsido, with Moshe Katav Datsmo, again, we don't have his letter, the Shani Khan who the la Frushe Misura. So, this again is something that puzzles me throughout the Truva that. He focuses entirely on the perpetrators, alleged perpetrators, and not on the victims. He says here the purpose of the testimony is to stop him from sinning further. Now we can say stop him from sinning further. That also involves victims. Um, and I don't know what his understanding is of the. I don't, wait, I don't know. If, I don't know how much. I mean, he talks about Metali the Hevel PM. Right? He talks about these right the kids being defiled. So I don't know how he cannot see them as victims, but it doesn't. Show up in all sorts of places where you expect it. Um, right? He says, even in the case of Tuvi and Zaygud, Shoharach explains, if your purpose in testifying is to help the perpetrator uh, stop sinning, that's uh, there is, that that works. I, I, you know, again, if somebody can get that to work more clearly, I would be happier. Okay, and now he says, uh, and what you wrote that the testimony of these Adam is nothing because they are they're minors. Uh, I wrote the same thing. 
Well, came to Lahavinosi, I don't know what you're talking about. Of course, it's not formal testimony. And you wrote, look, there are all these other technical rules, but they both have to testify about the same action. Right? It can't be that one of them testifies he abused me and the other one testifies he abused me at different times. That's not Edus for the Nefashos. And he said, So is a metaphor of a kama, of a fisherman. And sometimes fishermen, uh, some fishermen, when they catch a bigger fish, they throw back the smaller fish. And some fishermen keep the smaller fish and the bigger fish. So he says, I don't know, right? Um, I don't know what you're doing, right? You're coming up with these secondary arguments. And really the fundamental argument is they're minors. You're just stringing together arguments for no purpose. Because I agree with you. Okay, fine. But here he doesn't mention, but I agree with you, but so what? Uh, so this seems fragmentary. Okay, and then he says, Vineata Shiv Kaseder. So again, he's totally responding to two people. So the the, the nature of the text is um, is confusing. I don't know how far I don't I'm not sure how much to do with it. Mashakasav al Dibrati de la Frushime Surl Sarat Bagabas Vishne Baldin. Okay, now we have here we have what is an issue that comes up over and over again now, um, right? In all um in all um in, in, in many, many abuse cases, which is how do you balance the legitimate desire of somebody who's been traumatized by somebody else not to face them, especially if you're talking about children and the right to confront your accuser? In Nefashos, we would require the accuser to testify in front of the Baldin. So, um, right, so I wrote, uh, I, I wrote, I, I wrote that, um, that you can do it La Frusche Mesura. The Mashakasa Malaso, which you wrote, the Yeshlamar to be Surin, Kevin Lotzarat Hagadim, Kevin Lotzarat Hagadim, Kevin Lotzarat Right? So you're right, right? You're writing that the, the Nesivos wrote that because um, that because that that it's that in a Surin, you don't have to require. For testimony about Easter, you don't have you don't require testimony in Bezin, therefore you don't require testimony in front of the Baldin. He says, I don't understand what you're talking about. The Sivas doesn't make any sense, and the Sivas already responded to, and I just not even gonna explain to you why it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh it's not that it sounds like argument the other way. So I, I didn't really follow. Um right, it sounded like somebody was trying to defend his position, and he rejects their defense of his position because he thinks that the the Sivas made no sense at all. Okay. Okay, now we get back to what I think is the main line of the truth. Okay, so now we see the right that he has uh right, he has his own um he's right, he's building on his on his own prior claim, right? He says that I previously claimed that this is not the initial because it's just for Shema. And that's right, the, right. There really these two different arguments going on all the way through. There's the Shema argument, and there's the Lafrusha Mesur argument. And the Lafrusha Mesur argument always strikes me as puzzling, and the Shema argument is hard to figure out how to sustain. So he says, now he's going to say, all my, all the things that are non non normal procedure here, right? So I wrote that, right, in order to puzzle somebody from their Cheskas Kashras, they're really invalid for testimony. This requires acceptance before a Baldin. 
אבל כאן, אין לנו בעיה רק להרחיקו, שלא ילמוד עם תלמידים עד שישוב. But here, we're not, uh, here we're not trying to invalidate him for testimony. We're not, right, we're not, that we're not removing his status as a member of the, as an upstanding member of the community. We're just saying he shouldn't learn with the students until he does tshuva. So until he does tshuva, gets rid of the Shema again. Uh, so we're not coming to invalidate him. This you wrote, what am I talking about? So the other person says, what are you talking about? If you're making him do tshuva, so how is this different than any other soul of a person? Right, we possible a person, we always allow for tshuva. So here too, so the other person right, hasn't picked up on the Shema and is just picking up on his claim that we're not trying to possible the person and says, I don't understand. Right? It sounds like the other person understood him as saying, I'm only possible him until he does tshuva. I'm not permanently possibling him. I don't get that. And I wrote, Well, you didn't understand what I was talking about. I didn't mean that. What I said was that um, when we remove somebody's cheskes, when we're trying to remove somebody's cheskes kashras, then we say you can't accept testimony That's an interesting line. And, and certainly, we can't tell people not to do business with him. Right? Now we're going to make a very dicey distinction. Right? He's going to claim that when I said that we require testimony that's only for invalidating him. Invalidating him is going to res- yield the result that he, right, that his his parnasa will be cut off because we are, uh, right, because we're telling people not to do business with him. Avokan, atu nisel bishvil zeh mikpeskos kashruso, rak shanu omrim, shemilamet tinoko sarek liyot pared viyoter ledvar Hashem, yoter mishar bnei adam, vikan anu roin shehu kal. This is really odd. Right, if he says, I'm not claiming here that he's, that he's that he's invalid. We're just saying that to be malamid is a higher standard, and this person clearly has shown that he doesn't meet that higher standard. How does he not meet that higher standard? By homosexually molesting uh, school children? Really, really odd. So it could be that their facts were missing, and that everyone agrees that he did things that were inappropriate. But he, but right, and the question is whether. We believe that they go to the level of uh, of abuse, and then we get into all sorts of questions, right? That can come in all sorts of cases. What happens if people do things uh, like one of the cases I mentioned earlier, where there was never well, very few accusations, maybe maybe there were no accusations, not clear uh, of any kind of explicit uh, sexual play, but they were accused, right? But but regular inappropriateness like forcing people to wrestle then maybe that's the kind of thing he's talking about I, but that we're missing the facts right but it sounds like he's trying to make he's not met, trying making now a um at least a third distinction right so one distinction is between shema and vadai and another distinction right and within that a distinction between postling somebody and not postling somebody and then there's motivation of lafrusha surah and not lafrusha surah. And now there's a claim that certain kinds of positions can reasonably be held to higher standards and they can be held to a 
it sounds like you know, maybe to a, either that they can be held to a, uh, a general moral standard, even if they don't commit actual sins, or it means that they are obligated to be um, Caesar's wife, so they can't even have rumors about them. And the fact that they have rumors about them makes them cows. I, I'm, I'm unhappy with that. I'm really unhappy with that kind of notion. Um, but if you say that, right, that, you know, that what's missing in this whole background is that there's, is that everyone agrees there's some kind of smoke. Everyone understands he behaves inappropriately. Maybe, for example, he doesn't deny that maybe he wasn't supposed to sleep with the children in a bed. And he doesn't deny that he slept in a bed with them. Uh, so then we understand why he has to do Shuba. And we understand why he's not just Shema. So we could come up with a fancy reading that it's right, that he does the um, that there's a vada about him having engaged in behaviors that are at best borderline, you know, that showed very poor judgment, and and might have behaved in things that went further than that. Maybe that's the way to read it. Um, so he's, but so but he's now he's now his claim now is that the um, the the, right, the fact that right, in order to hold a Malamid to this higher standard, we don't require testimony in front of the Baldi. Right, so that's how formally we can right, we can allow this Gvias Edos, even though it's not in front of the Baldi. Now, what would happen if the Baldin insisted and said, I want them to testify in front of me? Uh, would, would it change? So let's wait one more paragraph. That really does sound like that's what's coming out of the outset, is that he thinks there's a equivalent of a Kaladzolo Pasik, and the equivalent of a Kaladzolo Pasik, even if it turns out that it's only smoke, but a Malamed is guilty for producing the smoke. That, you know, so you know, presumably that would only be true so long as there was no amasla, right? If he had some kind of claim as to how the smoke was produced, which meant that he did nothing wrong at all, um, then that would not work. So that's an interesting, that's interesting to figure out how we would set that standard. Okay, but now we get to what I think is really the the heart of the scandal in a sense. Well, sorry, he does have yeah. a claim, right? His claim is that they're you know Rishayim and liars and. He has, a, he has an alternative explanation for the smoke besides ideas yeah. him being accused of. Right. So you know, so the he has that explanation, but the Shalomation thinks that this is just false. Right? Because he thinks the person who started is the Ishire Lukin. And the people who set up the testimony were Balabaitin Nifbadin. So you might be right that he's making such a claim. And it might be the Shalomation saying, look, you know, I can't tell you what happened. But I can tell you that his accusation about the accusers is false. Um, right? He doesn't find his explanation credible. Does that work? So we need an explanation. I mean, whatever. It's, it's a little bit circular. Like, we'll only accept an explanation that we think is a good enough explanation that we want to accept it. Like, we're not giving a standard. We're just sort of saying, well, we'll accept it when it makes sense. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. You know, that... Since we're not dealing with formal soul, we don't need formal testimony. We can rely on what we think is an umdana. And for him to make the claim that all these really good people are doing it out of out of person, you know, out of out of frivolousness, that's just 
you know, that just seems absurd to us. I don't have a better way of doing it. Um, I don't have a better way of doing it. If you have a better way, then sure. Or tell them later. I don't have a better way of doing it. Yeah, if only. Okay. It's a hard, you know, I thank you all, right? Because, you know, I, I, it, uh, we'll talk about the end, but, you know, I, I, Lamasa, I think I have to make it more glot. Um, but I think reading it through, it's a really problematic, um, really challenging chuva. And part of it is that I think we, you know, that the text we have seems excerpted and maybe censored. So it's really hard to know what he's doing at any one point. But let's, let's I do want to really do the next paragraph. The next paragraph, I think, is really, really important if we can figure out what he's saying. Um, here's, here's what he says. The uh, Mashakasa, next several paragraphs. Okay, so now one of these rabbis is writing a uh, is writing a, a sort of a clever procedural move. This right, this Beit Din accepted testimony So now the Bezdin is invalid, and now the witnesses are invalid because once they've testified, we assume that they're going to just right that they have to back up their previous testimony. So even if they were now to testify in front of a Baldin. That wouldn't work it either. Work either, right? That's I think what he says. Mashakasa, the Kvar Nifsalu, right? At least the Bezdin and maybe the Adim the uh, as well as we'll see. Um, right? They're already invalid because once once a situation took place outside the regular Beit Din, which let's recall, refused to accept their testimony. So they're all puzzle. So here I think he gets I think he gets very personal. I think that's why you refused. Takes them the first time. Can you kablu Because if other people were then willing to take these witnesses, then he certainly wouldn't be willing to come in front of them. And he wouldn't have to come in front of this private bezin because it has no subpoena power. It's just a private bezin. Um, I'm not sure what that line means at all. Um, Not at all sure how this fits, um, right? I think that maybe right. So maybe this is a, this is a type, but it should be the uh, came. I don't know the gami theorem. I really don't know. Uh, really don't. I, it sounds like it should be an accusation of the first Beitin of being afraid to accept testimony because then they'll have to deal with the issue. I don't know. Uh, but he says it didn't work, right? Because your attempt to save him didn't work. We don't hold that way. We think they could testify again, um, right? And the and the um, and the says this at length, and then that's true halacha. And I already wrote a long truva uh, explaining this. But um, I, I I have to say, yeah, I, I I don't understand it entirely. But it seems to me that the core here is you know, is his claim that this is really a, a conspiracy that they sorry that they um, that they set this up. In order to right, to, they created a trap um, in which they wouldn't take the testimony, and then they would invalidate anybody who would accept the testimony. And having accepted the testimony, they would um, that right, they would then they would then declare everyone invalid. And that sounds like you know, you know like a, a real conspiracy theory that everyone right that they're pulling this off. And I don't know if he's right or not, but that's a right, that's a uh, um, that's a very strong claim. And this you know, is unfortunately reminiscent of the original Leonard case uh, in which uh, members of the Beit Din did in fact you know, try to intimidate witnesses. Um, and you know, 
the original Beitin seemed to have been set up to to um, to get him off. So the Shalom Eshev is really it's really very uh, very stark. Um, all right, then he says in lines one of four through one of seven, he says you had another formal claim that the Marik the Shulchan Aruch when they say the after Kabel Idus Katan Kol Shi Efsher Shi Edim Edim Sherim the Marik writes Shetzarech Lios Hatovei Atoin Bari. But he says no. There, the Marik says you have to be Toin Tanis Bari for 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 reasons in 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 that in that shuva. Uh, but here, right here, he makes right here. He's what he's claiming is that the the um, the people who accept the testimony have to be certain about what happened. And here, the beds who accept the testimony can't be certain about what happened. All they can be certain is about what the people said. And so he says, I don't understand. Right? How could they possibly know? Right? Marik there gives a gives a plausible explanation of why in those cases you would need a tanis bari because he's afraid. That uh, people will make will will set up false accusations, and that would leave everybody vulnerable because he thinks that um, slaves and uh, and certain women are susceptible of influence and will make false accusations. But here, how could the adults make create a tanis bury? They uh, right? How are they supposed to know what happened with the children? So I confess also. Um, I confess also. I don't really understand what the what the the argument, the other person's argument, like the the, it can't be that the kids are not making a tanis bari because they are, so it has to be that we're talking about the, right the the adult accusers and as the um, and as the uh, as the Chalmation explains, the adult accusers can't possibly be certain because they weren't there, so I'm not at all sure what he's trying to, uh, right what he's trying to, to what distinction he's trying to make. Can look at the Marik and see if you get it better than um, better uh, better better than I did. I think he's moving the uh, he's moving the who the claimant is, and that seems very puzzling. Okay, um, and then his fat last line is the Mashakasav the the Loshayach in Adam Mesi Matzmo Russia. There's son of Lasters. Sorry, Mashakasavti. Right, I think that's I think it's Mashakasavti. Another problem is Shuvah. You write just right to Memshin for Mashakasavti and Mashakasav. I wrote that you can't. Not you can't disbelieve the children because you claim that the children are turning themselves into Rishayim. Because if they want to do tshuva, then you believe them anyway. And anyway, they're children. So I don't really know why he made that argument. Um, also, right? So the the person responding, my Rick said, your argument that it's just for to tshuva, believe you believe them, you still can't believe them about the other person. Um, and he goes back to his claim to to post only day do some. We're not using them to puzzle anybody. So this is the first time he explicitly mentions it, but it seems like there really is a takana, or he really thinks there is a takana, that we accept the testimony of these children, um, but not for the purposes of postling somebody, only for the purposes of saving people for the future. Okay, and then Talginan de Buri is a whole, is, right, is, is a whole game. Right? Basically what he's saying is that every, all right, so Talginan de Buri is a claim we use when people Allege that uh, right that they committed a, a forbidden sexual act voluntarily with somebody. So can you say that we believe you that the act was committed? We don't believe you that you were willing. Uh, but here we're talking about children, and uh, it doesn't. It, I really don't understand why the uh, why right why why he bothers playing um, playing the game in this part. And that's the end of the truth. Um, 
Okay, all right, because right, he says that you're trying to, but his answer is you're trying to come with, with right, which we should read inside, right? When you say that we can talk about Pogin Dibur here, you're wrong. So there's right, there's no testimony at all, regardless of Pogin Dibur or not. We just say, look, they were there, and we have a Takana that we have to accept the testimony of children when there's no possibility of any other testimony. So we have to accept it. But obviously, we're not going to accept their claim that he actually committed the acts. Um, okay. So that is the, um, that's the Sholem Eshe, which I think is, um, I think really is the tshuva that we have on the subject. Um, so I tried to get out of this, I hope with, I hope with integrity, uh, as I wrote about the Walder case, that the bottom line is that we, allow certain kinds of testimony um, to, to protect people and not to punish people, but that the distinction between punishing and protecting is, right, is um, grounded in intent. And I tried to make this distinction very clear in the Walder case that I thought that the reason that I, I supported the removal of his books from public shelves and private shelves I talked to people privately about whether they should or shouldn't um, was because there were good public policy reasons to do it that were unrelated to punishing him, right? That they, that books give authors like this access, right? That yes, that the alleged victims wrote to him because they saw these books, parents, right? He has a whole counseling, right? You know, runs a whole counseling center. So the, the books gave him access and the accusations, if you left the books out, would he would still get access. And the continued presence of the book on public shelves would discourage people, uh, right? Would discourage people from coming forward in the future because it would create a clear indication that we don't believe you. Would be like putting the Tuvia Gemara up everywhere, every time somebody, right, every time somebody considers bringing an allegation. And that it's really you know, that if people don't know about the allegations, then exposing their children to the books, and then they might find out. They might find out in six months to a year that the person really did these terrible things. And especially especially in communities where you set the, the authors of books up as role models. So I thought that all of these were reasons that you could advocate for doing so, or even mandate doing so, as I, as I right, said we should, um, even though their motive, right? But none of that has to do with motives for punishment. When people ask, should we, right, should we remove his books because he shouldn't profit? No, right? Because I thought, like, you can't prove it, you don't know. Uh, you know, certainly at this point we have is, you know, it seems like a well-researched newspaper article, but we don't have more than that. Um, so to say that we're going to start an economic boycott of somebody on the basis of accusations when the accusers haven't been named publicly, the accusation hasn't been vetted in any kind of formal judicial setting. I think that for, that I think that we can emerge from the Shalom with a very sharp distinction between, um, between punishment and preventive things. The weakness is that the Sholem really never talks about prevent, prevention and his distinction between certainty and maybe doesn't, is, it doesn't, he doesn't hold it consistently. Um, and, he, and, he, and he really wants, in his specific case, he's dealing with a case where, where there is a Gvias Edus, uh, formally, albeit by an ad hoc Beitin, and we don't have anything like that here either. But I think the tshuva shows you how really hard that is to do and how possibly counterproductive you do. Because if you try it, 
then that sets up all these sorts of procedural barriers uh, in the right to, in the future. And that's leaving aside the question of Arcos because he seems to be dealing with a universe in which there, in which this is not viably a prosecutable crime in any court system he recognizes. So how that changes, right, both ways, but where if it's prosecutable, we can say, why didn't you go to the police? Um, on the other hand, we have a much, we have a much stronger reason not to require anybody to participate in a procedure that isn't the police. Uh, and I can say this, you know, I, I watched this on campuses where it seemed to me that um, like the current, I think still the current system on campuses is that if you're accused of rape, then you're required to, right, you're required to participate in a college, um, in a college hearing, but the participating in the college hearing is not, doesn't create a double jeopardy um, reason, doesn't create a double jeopardy reason, um, you know, prevention of going to court afterwards. So what happens is we can force you to, right, the accusers can force you to expose your defense in the college setting, uh, which is, you know, which um, creates, a, you know, a, uh, a uh, really major disadvantage in the su in subsequent proceedings. So it wasn't at all clear to me that this that a system which allows prosecution in college without, right, as opposed to forcing people to choose between college and um, and criminal law is a fair setting. Uh, although I understand the argument the other way. Um, so I don't right. So I think there you know that there there are real challenges. I I thought that the Shalomation made distinctions that are very useful. And that I can claim are grounded in them, um, but I don't think, reading it to you, that I can claim that it's absolutely obvious that everything applies, um, because there, you know, there are social circumstances that are different, there are halachic claims that are unclear, um, and there's like, you know, there's one specific difference in terms of the nature of the way in which the testimony was accepted. Yeah, um, now we could say what we have instead. Right? We say that a. a a credible newspaper article is at least the equivalent of a kalablo pasik. Um, and that's, yeah, so what I really want, what I will be doing in the um, in the end of year readers, I'm going to put out the testimony from a reporter named Ariella Sternbach, who's the, um, who has an article talking about her own experiences investigating Walder, which she thinks in the end convinces her absolutely that, um, that he is guilty. Uh, I wanted to put it out in an authorized translation, and originally she agreed, and then she never responded to my translation. But I think it's important enough to my own thought processes, and it's not copyrightable because she published it on Facebook in Hebrew, that I'm going to publish an unauthorized translation and with the Hebrew, and everybody can check to see if it's accurate or not. Okay, so what do you all uh, what do you all think? Comments do you have? I'm going to suspend the recording. So, so I I agree that um, that I think. I hope that Yehushal I hope that line means. I just hard for me to deal with the plural. I agree that the Shalom is a very good precedent for stating that there are positions for which the standard is different, and I think that it is valuable to. Right, yeah, I, I think that um, that we, we have to make you know, so three cases that people can bring up. Right, yeah, that are on a horizon now is the Walder case, the Tinak restaurant case, and uh, the basketball team case. Uh, so I, what I've been trying to argue is that we need to frame the discourse very much around what is really necessary to protect people, as opposed to what is right, as opposed to punishment. But I recognize that that issue, you know, becomes. I think your distinction between influencers 
people who have access to children, right? I think all those distinctions are valid. Uh, I think where it gets very hazy um, is the claim that we're not doing it to protect victims of this specific person. We're doing it to create an environment where the where victims will be more comfortable coming forward because right now there's a presumption that they aren't comfortable coming forward because they won't be believed and therefore expose therefore communal communal expressions of belief for accusers are always intended constructively as opposed to as punishment because they're uh, right because their purpose always is to create this social good uh, and that makes me nervous, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I said this about Walder's books specifically, um, because I think that, yeah, but I think like that was like a perfect storm because it wasn't just books. It was books about the psychology of children with, right, in a case where, right, where the, you know, it was, I think it was very clear that, um, that you really, like, that it was really like, you know, that you're holding somebody up as a role model. And right, so holding somebody up as a role model, as an expert on children's psychology, um, makes it very clear that you don't really give any credence to the accusations against them. But remove that factor, um, and you know, I don't know. Um, I think it's, uh, I think the, I think that's an argument. And so part of what we see, right, and we've talked about this on other occasions, is so in the end, the Shalometri rests himself on the grounds of a takana. Right, if we did, if we did halacha without the Without the Truman's addition, uh, right, um, setting up this takana, we would, right, we have nothing to, the, the, the Shalom Nation basically agrees he has, right, he has very little to go on. So in many of the circumstances, what we need is really is a takana or some kind of implicit takana uh, without punning on the takana forum, which, you know, which, which the success is not, um, is not, uh, right, is not obvious, um, right? That I think is a, uh, Right, that I think is a is a um, I, I think it's very hard to ex- right, to extend it to extend it that far, um, and it's right some great saying the zoom that the uh, that the president from Sachim is uh, is very hard. Yes, I, I I agree. You know, we spent um, I agree that that Gemara Sachim, you know, unless right unless you know the Gemara Sachim taken by itself is a very very strong press is very very strong argument. That could lead to the su- suppression of many, many abuse cases. That's why I teach the Sholomeshiv. But I think the Sholomeshiv is um, Sholomeshiv is the response to that. Um, now, the response to it is uh, the response to it is um, right a Kalvul Pasik. And so, what I wrote in you know, in Achrayek Suba, and I and I think I hold is that you really need investigative journalism. You really do. You really need some place that people can report that is short of the police, which use absolute criminal standards and cannot disclose anything. Uh, right, short of. I think that's one of the issues yeah, that um, had a conversation, you know, about uh, about other cases. Right, that the problem is that in most cases, let's say universities, if you investigate a case, you can't disclose the outcome of that investigation except in terms of guilty, not guilty. You can't say, you can't end up saying, well, you know, there was, it struck us that they, you know, they did really terrible things. It's really, it's, that's not usually what happens. Um, so I think the show, right, essentially what I'm doing, I think, is saying the Sholem 
essentially defangs the Gemara and Psachim um, and gives us a few useful lines, but that we have to recognize that dealing with these things is always going to require some kind of common sense um, principles. And then the challenge always in areas where halacha hasn't been continually updated. So, right, so there aren't formal takanos. So it's very hard to deal with it in the basis of formal halacha. Right? All you're basically trying to argue is these are the takanos that I think should have been made. And since I have the responsibility, I have to judge as if those takanos have been made and hope that people will go along with me. Um, with you know, the Shalomation bringing in this specific um, line of Shulchan Arach, that, uh, at least the Ramah, that, you know, that we, which we could generalize the principle anytime somebody is accused of something where we understand that there's no way to get the kind of testimony that would stand up in a criminal prosecution, we believe them for some purposes, that seems very valuable. It doesn't tell you that you know that you have to convict everybody in every case where just where you know, every private case of private private accusations of wrongdoing. That would obviously also be ridiculous, um, right? To just say you know. So I argue that you need to try and create defaults that are verifiable. That's a good strategy, like Yehud, um, that constricts people's autonomy. And you know, like we know, for example, now that many you know correctly so right many things that when I was a young teacher were given. Uh, in terms of relationship between teachers and students. And some of them, myself, I think, were very valuable, um, you know, dealing with kids who had deep mental, uh, right, you know, having deep mental crises and, um, you know, just giving kids rides home, letting, right, letting, like, letting them come to your house when they were, right, when they were in trouble. Those are things that I think that I would advise all my students not to do. Um, because the risk of your own life being destroyed is too great. And I just say, Baruch Shepetrani, you know, when I did them, they were still standard and, you know, and nothing happened. Um, but there's a loss also, right? There's, you know, I, I don't think, you know, people, you know, as Allah is, the loss of not allowing Yichud between consenting adults doesn't seem so great to me. Um, but as the, you know, and I think what I saw on campus is that often would have been a very good thing. Um, but the um, but I understand you know, the, the Mike Pence issue that in terms of businesses that becomes a really serious issue. Um, but I think that with regard to relationship between teachers and students, so we have put all sorts of precautions in place that probably have a good deal of impact, which is a wonderful thing in terms of preventing abuse, but also have an impact in terms of preventing um, certain kinds of intense relationships, and that's a price. Uh, price, I think we have to pay now, but I don't know. You know, that the balance is the same in every society. Um, I don't know that we found the perfect balance yet. Um, I really don't know. Okay, that ends us for um, for this year. Thank everybody as always for coming. I hope you'll be back uh, at uh, twelve. And as all, and obviously you should uh, email me or call me or engage in other kinds of media communication with me if you have other comments about this um, as soon as encouraged, because I need to figure out the, um, I need to figure out the, uh, the, what, if I need to modify anything in the, in the translation or the, um, or the, com or the introduction to the reader on this issue. Okay. I, I need to prepare for the other share now. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you in an hour. Thank you.